Hi, Geekscapists. Welcome to a brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, your host. And if this is your first Geekscape, strap yourselves in for some pop culture talk. If this is like your 800th Geekscape, you know to strap yourselves in for some pop culture talk. We've been doing this since 2006. Sometimes I sit down with a creator one-on-one, find out why they wrote or directed something. Maybe they are an actor or from the world of video games or comics. Whatever the case may be, I love talking stories and I love talking pop culture. This episode is a previously recorded panel that we did live at Los Angeles Comic Con and it's titled How I Broke Into Hollywood as a Screenwriter. It was the idea of our good friend Burke Sharpless who's been on Geekscape before, but he and his co-writer Matt Sazama actually aren't on the panel as I'll explain as we go live. Uh, but we wanted to talk all screenwriting and really breaking into the business. It was a packed room, a lot of fun to talk screenwriting with these folks. And on the panel with me is Stephanie K. Smith. You may remember her from the Comic-Con panel this past year about screenwriting. New Geekscape guest Brendan Hay, who works on the animated Gremlin show on HBO Max. And Megan Fitzmartin, who started her screenwriting career on Supernatural and then segued into writing all sorts of stuff for DC Comics. To replace Matt and Burke on the panel, I brought in my own producer, Noam Dromi, the best man at my wedding, who you may not know, wrote the Dolphin Tail films. Maybe you grew up and were like, hey, I love those Dolphin Tail movies. Well, it is one degree of separation from Geekscape, your favorite podcast. I appreciate you all listening to us. Kick your feet up. I hope you're enjoying your holidays. Maybe you're a screenwriter. Maybe you're an aspiring screenwriter. Maybe you just like movies. Regardless, I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation, so enjoy. Let's talk screenwriting. I'm Jonathan London, the host of the Geekscape podcast, and I've written film, TV, movies, comics. I just like storytelling. So about 18 years ago, I started a podcast talking to storytellers. Uh, some of them are here on the panel. Uh, and uh, weekly, I just pick the brains of filmmakers, video game actors, actors, directors, whoever you got in the uh, world of pop culture. Um, and I love it. I'm addicted to it. So every time LA Comic Con comes around, I put panels together talking about various subjects. And what's funny about this specific one about screenwriting is it was Burke Sharpless's idea. Burke and his co-writer Matt Sazam are responsible for things like the Netflix Lost in Space. Uh, they have an awesome story where Burke was working at the Chateau Marmont and uh, was an aspiring screenwriter and somebody connected them through both growing up in Wisconsin with Matt and they became uh, co-writers and immediately I think they sold like Gods of Egypt or... Maybe it was like, maybe it was like that the Dracula Unleashed, that very early one that was almost going to become the first iteration of Universal's MonsterVerse, and that got them to a place where they could then write more genre work. Uh, one of them being uh, Morbius, 
But every time I, but, but uh, knowing, but I, I, let me tell you, I, I texted Burke, and the reason they're not here is they both got COVID. Uh, they're close, they, they work, don't work too close together with your co-writers. <laughs> and and uh, so Matt told me yesterday, hey, buddy, I'm sorry I got COVID. And then Burke told me this morning, and I was like, okay, uh, it's all good. I will tell some of your stories because I know them. Uh, but the thing about Burke is he just wants a pass to the con. So <laughs> like San Diego, he's like, let's do a screenwriting panel, which we did. Stephanie were on that panel. It was fun. And because uh, he wanted to go to San Diego Comic-Con. And he'll go, and he he just wants to buy 70s era Marvel books like anything with man thing werewolf by night Morbius so like I know what was in that first Morbius script I know guys that movie would have been awesome like Marvel 70s Marvel horror fans would have been like oh my god like they did it this is like the Gene Cullen stuff and all of that Uh, this is awesome I love it um but it goes through studios and it happens and uh, to their credit if anybody who's seen Netflix is lost in space knows the talent of these guys that was a really great series and so I'm a day one ticket purchaser for their next movie Madam Web which we'll see we'll see we'll see we'll see if maybe Craven does a little cameo for his movie coming out. I don't know. I'm a big pop culture fan. So I, I, I'm always hopeful, you know, sometimes you watch the trailer and you're like watching it through your hands. Like, oh, good. But I'm always there day one. My wife, Heidi knows that cause she's stuck with me. Like <laughs> she's next to me being like, Oh boy. Uh, but I'm always hopeful. Uh, and this led me to meet this wonderful panel of people. I've replaced, no, no offense, Matt and Burke. I love you guys, but my producer and my, you read everything I write, uh, Noam Dromi, he uh, started his screenwriting career, I believe, Noam, we're going to get to your origin story. Uh, He found an article about a dolphin that needed an artificial tail, and it became the Dolphin Tail series, which he wrote. Yeah. Yes way, Ted. And, um, And then I've got Stephanie K. Smith, who just got a... I think series order on Laura Olympus. Oh, oh. The, the ink's not on the ink's not on it. But <laughs> but you but you've been de- but you've been developing uh, for three years. For three years. Network, so that's why I can't. That's why. Uh, okay, sorry. I'm blowing up all the behind the scenes. Yeah, if, you like <laughs> if you like Laura Olympus, like keep your. Uh, uh, Brennan Hay. I met him because last week, last year, you were on a panel with Joe freaking Dante of Gremlins because you are a writer on Gremlins, the last Mogwai, but the secret of the Mogwai, the animated series. And uh, that's amazing. We're going to talk about your career in animation. And then you brought along the wonderful Miss Fitz Martin, who's worked on Supernatural. And Megan Fitzmartin not only worked on Supernatural, I think the season after I shadowed Bobby Singer for directing. Did you really? You were season, oh, season 11, you were season 12. I started uh, as an assistant on season 12, yeah. Yeah, and I went up there and did the whole Warner Brothers shadowing thing with Bobby, and I love Bobby, and I love everybody there. Bob's amazing. And and then I was reading her. All the way to 15, girl. Yeah, they went to 15 seasons. You started in the room as an assistant on 12? Yeah, I started. 
Kristen on 12 and read, so I had already seen all of it because I was a fan of the show already. So I was like, well, what can I do to like be beneficial in the room? What if I read all of the scripts? So I read every super wow. script. I did the same thing before I went to Vancouver. I watched yeah. every episode. Yeah, it's, it's a masterclass. It's a masterclass in yeah. storytelling. Some of the best came through. Like obviously Bob, but like Ben Edlin, Sarah Gamble. Let's talk about the DP. Sir, this DP was like somebody who was like, oh, oh Serge. Yeah. Serge can shoot any genre. Yeah. He's done yeah. comedy. He's on Western. If you watch the show, you understand like how versatile he is. And when the DC shows started showing up in Vancouver, because the first season of Legends of Tomorrow was on the next stage over, and we were just hearing them like blow crap up until like <laughs> we were rapping because they run a tight ship on Supernatural. They've been there so long. And uh, I'm going to blow up my friend Kevin Tantero, and who was like up there shooting Flash or Legends of Tomorrow. But we'd go to the movies on weekends and he'd be like fighting, you know, he'd be like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, and I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, he's like, we're shooting so long. On a Bob Singer shoot, you're 12 hours and you're out. That's what I learned. And, Absolutely nothing more than that. And he was so awesome. And a reason for that was like Serge, the art directing, like they, they were pros and I loved my time there. It was amazing. Um, and you then took that. And you went into like writing comics and stuff for DC and you're like a Robin expert and you've done that not only for that, but the animated stuff. And it's so awesome. Uh, so guys, I have to ask y'all and we can start whoever wants to start. See how I'm like kind of crowding the mic. I, let me know if that helps or does, or if I need to do it or if I'm just being a blowhard. But um, <laughs> what is your origin story? Whoever wants to start, like, what is your origin story? I kind of gave you a small piece of it, but go for it. What got you into screenwriting? And did you originally aspire to be a screenwriter? Oh, oh. Ha. I went to school to be a youth pastor. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right for Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Natural is a standard story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, oh, no, the guys outside, we walked past them, and I was like, that's theologically inaccurate. That is not the actual understanding of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, all of this is wrong, but if I just yell at them, they'll be madder, and I don't want to do that. Um, yeah, no, I, the whole shebang. Like, I, I went to school, I, I studied a, a semester in Israel. Like, I did, all, I did the whole thing. And then my last semester there, so the whole reason that I went to school to be a youth pastor is because I wanted to create spaces where people were loved. And uh, that continues to be my motivating factor. I just want people to know that they are loved. And I realized that the way that I knew that I was loved was through stories. And so my last year of college, um, because a normal thing in, in Florida, like a normal career path is get married to a pastor. So that was my plan. What if I get married to a pastor? Because I'm a lady, and so I can't actually be a pastor. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was that. It was that. And so I, that, that had been my plan. And I was like, well, if I don't get married to a pastor in this Bible college that I go to, then maybe I'll go to L.A. What a wild! <laughs> That's a pretty binary system. That you're like the only two options. Those yeah. Only two things yeah. that anyone could do. And so I, um, I thankfully did not get married to anybody, and was like, all right. So I guess I'll just move to LA. I knew no one. I knew nothing. I didn't know how anyone wrote. The back of a computer box, let alone like I did. I didn't have this, and so I I was nanny for the first couple of years. I learned the city. I 
figured out how to live outside of Florida, which was the best thing that I could have ever done for myself. Um, and then I worked as a business development coordinator, which is my very first industry job, which was essentially my master class in being taught how to be in the industry. That's what taught me about studios. That's what taught me about... Oh, it was amazing. It was so amazing. And like the company was so small and it was a boutique, but it was also so encouraging of me learning. And because of that, I knew that I needed to leave after two years because I was like, well, I can't write. I changed the entire course of my life to write. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to stay here in a place where I can't write, but I'm also not gonna stay too long and ruin this place. Like, do, like, have any bad blood between anybody. Like, I was just like, I, I respected them too much to stay and get better. So I was like, okay, I, I'm just gonna free fall. Something will happen. Um, and that is when I got a job. I had interviewed like three times at this point for a job at Warner Brothers. So I worked as a PA for the TV estimating department, which is where all of the budgets are. So, so it was so, it was so valuable. It was such an amazing learning opportunity. It, so at the time, Warner Brothers had 30 TV shows. They have many more now. But at the time, they had 30 TV shows that, that, we, my department was in charge of all of the budgets and all of the money and making sure that like where I knew where checks were coming from and like making sure that everybody got, everybody got paid and I knew how much the budgets were for all of these different shows and that was an invaluable learning experience yeah. um, and but I knew once again that I couldn't stay there I wanted to write so come January of 2016 I was like okay I'm gonna tell every single person I know that I need to get onto a TV show. Like that had to be the next job. I needed to be an assistant because at that time that was the, the way in. Um, it's not what I would suggest for people now. Like it just from the way that the television industry is, I just don't suggest it. Um, but the last bastion of that was I think my, uh, around that time. So I jumped on a Supernatural uh, as a showrunner's assistant and you know, read all of the scripts, kept writing, was writing constantly, was talking to anybody that I could, um, wrote, uh, wrote a script that I had everybody in the room read, and then I gave it to my bosses, and they were the ones that were like, okay, we will give you an episode. Um, that episode went really well, and then I got another episode, and I was able to be staffed off of that, and then the show ended, and 2020 happened. So, oh, that, then, the, then the journey just started. It, yeah, now I do want to talk, uh, once I get your origin stories, about the survival months, right? And this is a conversation, Nomi, you and I have daily. Yeah. And Stephanie, you and I have talked. Um, before we do this and continue maybe with Brendan's story, uh, somebody's like parked in a loading zone. I think if you were parked in a loading zone, I've been told to let you guys know, like, don't park in a loading zone. Just let so, and that's about it. They said there's a tow truck there. Okay, you're no longer parked in a loading zone. <laughs> How did they narrow it down to us? Everybody got that. Yeah, everybody got it. Yeah, all of the. So the whole. Someone's 402, but it could be 402A. Hey, you guys over there in 402A. You guys don't park in loading zones. We're screeners. They know how to read. Like, we're good. I mean, I mean, some of us know how to read. But, um, let's continue on, Brendan. Sure. Because you know what? Like, we ta we talked on the on the picket line. We we hung out, but I don't actually have your origin story and how you got into animation. If you don't mind speaking a little bit into the mic, I think I think I think Megan did great. Um. Yeah. No. 
geek all growing up, comic books and movies especially. Where? Where? Uh, Long Island, New York. Okay. Um, yeah, exactly. I can get movies for <laughs> needs, uh, closest malls, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, always comics actually was the main, main thing I was always going for. Uh, worked at a comic shop all through high school, interned at Marvel in college. And it was like, okay, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to do. Um, and then the first gig I was able to get, because I was trying my best to get in as like an assistant editor at like Marvel or DC in New York. I'm like, this is a path, I can do this. And I was like trying to do some indie stuff with some friends. Um, but I actually managed to get a internship at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, which, cool. um, and yeah, he had yeah. like just taken over as host, so it was like a perfect time. And uh, ended up staying there for seven years. Wow. Um, Did you ever meet Craig Kilborn's like assistant <laughs> as he was on the way out? No. People may not even remember Craig Kilborn doing it, but I know, like, I know yeah. the crew still hates him. But oh. Uh, <laughs> I remember thinking, like, oh god, how is John? Yeah. Ever yeah. Could he possibly how take this? Replace over? the guy who does whatever he has like five things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but who could replace the guy who had a mirror under the desk to do oh, his Jesus hair between? Christ, uh, right? Whoa, guys, <laughs> this is the panel to be in. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, so yeah, uh, thankfully got in there early and stayed for seven years. Um, I entered as an intern, left as a producer, and did a whole lot of everything in between. So it's kind of on the learning experience path. Um, I was a PA, I was a writer's assistant, I was an uh, in-studio producer doing like, the headline segments, and then also trying to, I was Lewis Black's producer for a while, yeah. I was like trying to write on those segments. And that's the thing with, was, again, comedy and comics was what I was trying to chase. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm getting the comedy fix. Comics weren't really coming, but it's fine. Um, but then through all of this, I somehow met the folks at The Simpsons and managed to pitch, like, they, it was kind of like a nice, casual social thing. Like, oh yeah, well, we still have freelance writers a few times a season. Like, you know, if you ever want to try to get in on one of those, let us know. Um, of course I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I sweated profusely, generated as many ideas as I could. Um, and one of our, the one other nice thing on The Daily Show, um, total burnout in terms of your daily schedule, but you have uh, one week off every five weeks. Mm, so it was on right. one of those, it was like, went out to sit to LA and like my first kind of professional like visit out to LA. I'm like, okay, uh, went there, pitched, thankfully they liked one of the ideas, so I got it. And spending a week there, I realized, oh, so the opposite of uh, come in at eight, leave at nine every single day <laughs> is work in animation. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where it's going to take nine months for every single episode, no matter what. They're going to end at like 6 p.m. every night, and it's just going to be really awesome. Um, so it's like, oh my God, and this is, again, comics and comedy finally in one. Say, it just yeah, took yeah. that long for me to click on that, and like, I love this. And uh, yeah, thankfully, man, left Daily Show a little while later and started moving into animation, and since then, I've jumped back and forth between kids and adult of like, Bunch of years on Robot Chicken, um, then also like uh, show ran Dawn of the Crudes and Harvey Girls for Netflix, and yeah, it was co showrunner on Gremlins uh, right now on Max. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, Stephanie, we know what you're working on next because I blew it up. Uh, <laughs> but I think we know, I mean, I loved having you on the panel this summer. It was awesome. And then coming out of USC, correct? Um, well, I mean, it goes back to NYU. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk. <laughs> Uh, let's talk uh, into the microphone, please, ma'am. Please, please. I'm recording this as well for the podcast because I can't not record stuff for the podcast. Sorry. That's okay. All right. Content, content, content. Um. So yeah, I went to NYU for my undergrad. Then I went to USC for grad school because you know undergrad was just basically going out and getting drunk. Do you, did you? Did, well, because like I discovered, I discovered filmmaking in undergrad because I went for a radio, which obviously explains the podcasting and this and that. But. Um, 
I, the visuals came when I was in college and, and was like, oh, cool. I got like a high, like a super, like a high eight camcorder. I was like, let's make some silly movies. Um, what uh, did, were, did you go to NYU with a, with, to do a screenwriter? Crazy is, so I went to NYU. I went to like an, an open house at NYU thinking I was going to look at the journalism school because, you know, I'm from a middle class family. Like I'm first in my immediate to go to college. So it was like, you, you know, I was always a writer. That's what I did. I was like the editor of the literary magazine in high school and whatever. But like I didn't imagine that this was going to be my actual career. But I showed up on the wrong day and I ended up at Tisch. And then, <laughs> and then the head of the department at the time, Janet Nyfrist, because we're going back to 1994. We didn't have to. <laughs> you look great. You didn't have Thank to. You. Like, but the point is, is that she, you know, found me and talked to me and like sold me on the school, and I got an early decision when I was 16. Yeah. So yeah, and that time there were no girls. Like it was me and one other girl in a department of 12. And so I did that. But like I said, I wasn't really focused as an undergrad. And then you let 16-year-old girl from the suburbs loose in New York City, like, (laughs) when they still had fake IDs. Like, yeah, it was great. So, you know, I worked for a film festival after that. I worked in advertising ever so briefly, you know, like as a 20-year-old assistant. And then I was like, okay, well, I fucked that up. And I still still want to write. And it was actually during that time, and I hate to give this person credit, but he's another, you know, working screenwriter today. My college boyfriend, who was a couple years older than me, was a comic book nerd and collected mm. laser discs and all that sort of stuff and so we got super deep I'm just like watching all like the 70s classics you know and I was like oh shit and at that time like TV was about to take a turn like the Sopranos had just come on like that sort of stuff and I was like oh I could do that like at first I thought it was going to be like I'm going to make independent films like the ice storm mm. and then I was like oh wait the Sopranos like that's you know mm. that's what I, and I'm from Connecticut from just across the Long Island Sound so like I you know, grew up around there and it felt like home to me so I applied to USC because of course I didn't think about money or debt or any <laughs> of those things got into USC and at USC I was the first person to do a dual major television and film so we kind of started that TV track and while I was still at USC I got hired to um, write a Disney movie uh, which was going to be a sequel to Flight of the Navigator which is a movie from my childhood (laughs) yeah and you know it blew up it didn't go anywhere but that was sort of my first quote unquote big break that I thought I've had a lot of big breaks that I thought were going to be my big break and (laughs) then I was like really poor again after yeah Yeah, like you realize like you never really get there so we're talking about realistically I've had like a 15 year trajectory like maybe slightly more than that now if you go back to Flight of the Navigator but that wasn't like a real that didn't really start me that took me on some meetings and that was still back in the day when the industry was totally different and so like they were taking you to like Mr. Chow and like you know you got like a serious meal and they acted like you were going to be important and then you weren't (laughs) but I think that's an important thing for people to hear Um, I've gotten to the point where I don't think I've told you this no who who, literally you are my producer Uh, I count the even years as the good years because I'm like oh that was in 2014 that was in 2008 that was in 2016 and i've started to become like somebody who's a bit superstitious <laughs> and i'm like oh 2020 okay we're going into 2024 that's good news yeah. <laughs> i'm pretty optimistic this is gonna kick ass this is gonna be like a 22 all, 2022 all over again i got married to you in 2022 heidi like that was a pretty good year here we go it's not gonna blow up your theory right now no <laughs> i was gonna say i was like so how do you explain 2016 no. 2016 <laughs> guys 2016 was all, we, i made a movie in brazil it was awesome <laughs> It was amazing. A movie I, I, I produced and wrote. We we filmed it in Brazil. It was awesome. The 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 Trumpy thing. I may have. I was. I remember being in Sao Paulo, 
one night and I, and it was, it was going down and I was talking to you, Heidi, and I tweeted some stuff that I was like, delete that or they won't let you back in the country. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So after Flight of the Navigator, everything was shitty. Then there was a period in the mid two thousands when Al Gore was creating a network, um, which, yeah, it was called Indie TV. That person became current TV. Anyway, they did. Uh, no, it's no, current. Was radio. I remember yeah. my job at current was trying to get kids at colleges to make content yeah, well, and give it to it. current. I'm like, they're just going to put it on their own YouTube channels. So they, at the time when they started the network, they did this nationwide search for the best young digital storytellers. And it started off, they were looking for 50. They wound up picking nine of us and then um, changing their model completely. <laughs> so that was my next, like, I was going to be all great. And then I had finally just started uh, doing these, like trying to apply for assistant jobs because like also being ignorant as I was, first in family, go to college, never mind grad school from these really prestigious schools. I was like, what do you mean I'm supposed to go be an assistant? I wrote a Disney movie. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, okay, fuck it. Let's do this. We got to go be an assistant. And then I sold a television show. Yeah. And um, I had this idea for something that would be interactive across multiple platforms because I was really also into the idea of transmedia. I had gotten obsessed with Neil Gaiman, like, back in the day. And then I just started to think about, like, how television was going to fuse. And it still hasn't, like, really caught up to the things that I was thinking, and they weren't exactly how it unfolded. But at that time, the idea for a show about a person that existed online as if they were real and then became inadvertently famous by virtue of these, like, shitty series of events and, like, kind of you make this faux reality comedy about it. And I sold it. And so that, and that was the year of the first writer's strike. Not first writer's strike, but the first for our generation, the 07 writer's strike. And um, we had been ordered to series. So it was another one of those, like, sitting in a room thinking I was going to make $600,000 <laughs> and everything was going to be amazing. And then the strike happened. They, they, the comedy division got killed at the CW, which was where it was. And, but then they decided they wanted to turn it into an hour long, so they kept me in development oh. for a year. But that meant that I couldn't staff. Yeah. yeah. And so I just kept selling shows for a couple years. And then, um, and then my life imploded, like my personal life imploded. So I had to come back from that. And for a long time, I talked about like not working for three years. Mm-hmm. Truth is, I landed an OWA that was like put out by an agency that I competed against other writers for. Like that's the reality of being a working screenwriter is you're competing for jobs that are free until they're not free. Mm-hmm. So I haven't had a year in 15 years that I haven't had something going on, but I had three years where I didn't make a penny. Yeah. And it was brutal. Yeah. And then, um, 2016 so there 2016 was okay for me too I, uh, I'm eating avocados like that big I'll party <laughs> I didn't get avocados but um, but I did date a rich guy who took me all over the world oh. for a while so that was kind of fun but I um, well, this is after my divorce when my life blew yeah. so you know I deserved a little travel but uh, but uh, but then I got uh, I got a call from a producer who had known me back in the day, and they had the rights to a book called The Impossible Knife of Memory by Laurie Hall Sanderson, and it's like a YA, like Newbery Award winning book, and it was great, and it was about a woman, a young girl in uh, upstate New York dealing with a dad who was a Iraq vet with PTSD and whatever else, and like my dad was a Vietnam vet with PTSD and like all this sort of stuff. So anyway, I landed that feature, and then I got hired on Carnival Row. And I got hired on Carnival Row because the showrunner of the first season, Renea Cavaria, had been attached to showrun one of those jobs that I had that was an if-come deal that didn't pay me but mm-hmm. seemed like it was a big deal. Um, so when my show didn't go, he hired me on Carnival Row. And then I haven't stopped working since. And I do – and I you know, I staff and I develop. But there's still – even within that, there's huge swings in, 
and what the reality is. And that helps you guys who are aspiring streamers to hear, correct? Like, uh, I don't have, like, no offense, guys, but, like, it's a very elite group, the people who are really moving the pieces on the chessboard, and it it is a job. And I I have hacks to keep me moving and keep me motivated, and I just, I, I think every day about my dad putting up the briefcase and going off to do a job. He didn't, my dad wanted to be a writer, but he went and got a job as a lawyer because he had three boys and a daughter and he had to go and do it. And I think about that when I'm sitting here like, oh, I gotta go right, or I'm, I'm stuck, or I can't get around this thing. It's like, no dude, like even if you write trash, and we, and that is like part of it, is pushing through the trash and the insecurity and the, and being like, uh, and, and just like you, you have to get that stuff out. You, there's so much digging and so much mining to do well, before you get to the goods. There's a, there's a brain adjustment to be made about what success means, and this is what I yeah. wish that I could say to my younger self, which is like, by by all measures, now I'm successful. Like you know, right? Okay, it's it, I do well, but like. There have been so many years when, like, I was still successful and I didn't think I was successful because I didn't have any money, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it's this weird, it, an artistic career is an ephemeral, ephemeral thing. Yeah. And yeah. it's just not the same as any other career that you undertake. So you, like, you shift your perspective on what it means to be working, what it means to be moving forward, like, all those things. And of course, you know, and I mean, a whole different story because I think it's time to go on to your origin story. <laughs> um, thinking about the management relationship and how you actually manage your career because when you're younger you're just like oh pick me pick me and you think because somebody picked you then oh it's going to be great and like that's not no some of the managers you end up just walking away from because they have other priorities that have nothing well, to do with you, and like you're not doing your part, and you're not like, doing your part. That's yeah, what I know about me. You have to be I your own man. You certainly ha- didn't do my part for a long time, yeah. and still managed to coast, mm. and that was a miracle. <laughs> you are your representation, and like, yeah. and if you want to augment it by adding someone to it, yeah. do it. But you are your representation, and I now pass the mic to my manager, <laughs> who is not my manager. You are my creative producer and you're, my you're business partner, and like. Yeah. And the person who talks me off the ledge creatively, yes. like, no, tell me how you started on the journey sure. to ruining your career with your association with me professionally. Yes. Um, so I'd say that my career started out of a strong desire to ditch high school. Really? <laughs> yes. So I had some success um, in ninth and 10th grade as a playwright, and I won the California Young Playwrights Competition oh, wow. two wow. years in a row. I keep from doing that. The audio. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Sorry. Right. Um, and, uh, and then... Uh, was a office PA during winter break of my 10th grade year on a movie that starred a just out of rehab Drew Barrymore called Doppelganger the Evil Women. And and if you actually find that film somewhere, I'm in it too. (laughs) Because you you had to be because it was so low budget. Um, And uh, when it was time to go back to school, they were still filming and I wanted that on-set experience and I said to my parents, this is what I want to do. And they're like, no, you're going to go to school. <laughs> so I wasn't yet driving. They took me to the, they drove me to the school bus one morning. And when they drove away, I said, no, I'm going to go do that. And I got on the city bus and I went to work. I devised a very elaborate scheme, um, uh, sending a note. Uh, I, my family's from Israel. We moved here when I was six. So um, writing a very elaborate note that my grandmother had died and we had to go back for three weeks. <laughs> Getting the homework done, regardless, and and Wait, this our, is how old? I was fifteen. Oh my god! Um, and creative writing safety. Yeah. And, uh, and um, 
that process began. Um, I would leave to go to school in the morning, and my parents were none the wiser until I happened to come home on day nine. Uh, and my mother, who was a professor at USC in the social work department, was at home, and she was not supposed to be at home. And she said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm doing great. And a little back and forth, and I'm a terrible liar. And it quickly became clear when she pulled out a bunch of mail from the school saying, your child hasn't been in school, that the jig was up. Um, I got grounded yeah. for a very long time. But I, but I did make a deal that I would be allowed during um, summers and... Uh, taking night school to um, pursue this passion of working in film and television. Well, they knew they couldn't stop you anymore. Well, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked on I worked on eleven features and seven TV shows throughout tenth uh, and eleventh grade. Wow. Um, and then I had earned enough credit, so I only had to take one class during my 12th grade year. Um, and then I went to work at 20th Century Fox as the second assistant to producer Linda Obst. No way. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I somehow still managed to go to college, or at least briefly go to college, <laughs> at, at USC, not in film and television for undergrad, but as a double major in anthropology and linguistics. Um, That's cool. Why? That was. <laughs> Like why? Just because I found it interesting. I liked languages because I, sp I yeah. spoke a few. Okay. And I like okay, other cultures. Well, I mean, you wanted to work in film and TV, but I, I wanted know. to understand people. Guys, and and that might be something for valuable known for people here to hear is that like, do you have to go to film school? Do you have yeah, to no, focus no, on that no, stuff? No. Right. Like, yeah. like because I teach at a film school. Right. Don't yeah. go to I, film just, school. I just joined the faculty at USC. Oh. And yeah, no, you. I mean. I'm really excited to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, guys, teaching is awesome. But as a like, I like teaching college. I actually yeah, love teaching college. But go, going there, like, I'm still paying off a little bit of Columbia, Dude. and I'm just like, okay, yeah. cool. That was it's it, like, it, oh, like 9/11 happened my first week. Like that's how that's when I started Columbia. It's, and it was, you get so much more, and you're, especially as writers, we are so incredibly valuable for the experiences that we are going through and, and chasing and, and finding. And you don't have to have the same experience yeah. as everyone else. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't. Also, from similarly, yeah. <laughs> also being a uh, product of dramatic writing at NYU. Um, yeah, the only two things I feel like I really got out of it, people can do for themselves. I got a great writers group that I worked yeah. with a few years afterwards, but that's just meet fellow writers, talk yeah. writing, yeah. share your work with other people. Into the mic, right um, into the mic. And then mic. the other one is um, internships. Like, that was the only other thing I'd say is like any way to get in, but there's other ways, there are other ways to get in. And I definitely like whatever is the foot in the door is always a good one to start meeting folks. But mm -hmm. talk to other writers is really the best thing I got out of paying for way too much for uh, <laughs> and, I, and I also think times have changed, right? Yeah. Like, like coming from nowhere, exactly. like, exactly, like, you know, you, you had, like, that's what you had to do. But now that, and also, like for me and the time that I was coming up the point for somebody who didn't fit the mold of you know a white Ivy League guy from a lot of money or whatever else you, you needed to blend in mm -hmm. and like so it was like I you know it worked out for me that my name was Stephanie Smith and I was from Connecticut which everybody stupidly thinks is rich because it's not and, <laughs> and so like it was good that I could fit in those rooms and I went to these schools so I, it's sort of like it gave me a credibility that I didn't have 
these days that's not true. And that's a wonderful thing for everybody else because there is a room for, and there is a room for everybody from every background <coughs> to show what they can do. And the other thing that I couldn't agree with you more that like, and that was my excuse for not staffing for a long time and not doing that stuff when I was in my twenties was like, I don't want to have my whole experience be that I worked in a writer's room and was around the same people who had the same experiences. I want to go out and like live my life. And I lived in Europe for a while and I did all these other things like live your life. I mean, you know, and when people staff shows, a lot of times it'll come down to like, oh, I need someone that was a linguistics major and yeah. was born in Israel. And yeah. then it'll be like, oh, okay, perfect. Like, it's literally that yeah. specific that they get. You guys well, know I'll Jason in, Jason Inman got on that show because he was in the army. And they were like, yeah. you know, you guys know Jason. And Jason uh, is staffed as a writer's assistant on the, to the showrunner on a show because they were doing a military show coming off of something that wasn't a military show. And he just asked his friend, like, is anyone in that room actually been in the military? And they're like, we could use you, you know, and that happens. Let me actually speak to that specifically. So high school ended first year of college. My father got sick. Sorry. sorry. No, it's like, look at it. it my, my father got sick. So I left school to help take care of him until he passed. Then I was like, I'm not going back to school. I need a job. So a friend from high school's father was the sh- had just come off a television show called Jag and was now the show. I love Jag yeah. so much. <laughs> Which, for those who don't know, is basically the show that set up the NCIS yeah. universe. Um, and NCIS is a spinoff, everybody. Yeah. Yes. Wild. Um, Imagine that you created Jag. Yeah, seriously. Don Belisario. Don um, uh, And um, this was a show... I'm sure most of you in the room remember the A-Team. So imagine a group of like ex-mercenaries who, I mean, ex-army folks who were hired as mercenaries by the U.S. government. It was a show called Soldier of Fortune, Inc. Based on stories from Soldier of Fortune magazine. I became a writer's assistant on that show. And then they said, oh, we have a character who's secretly an Israeli Mossad agent. Uh, So I, it, it was a staff. There was 25 episodes in the season. Five were freelance. And I said, I'm going to get one of those. Yeah. At age 19, I'm, I'm going to get one of those. And then number 21 sold. It wasn't me. 22, 23, 24. And then finally on the last one, I went to my bosses and I said, I think I have the goods. And if you don't, I'll just quit my other job. And they're like, why would you do that? <laughs> but I felt confident enough in it and they bought it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, then I became staff on second season. And it was, how do we make a show about mercenaries more authentic? We're going to make the new star, Dennis Rodman. (laughs) And needless to say, within five months, we were canceled. (laughs) I don't know this story. I know a lot of your stories. I don't know that story. So, yeah, it's it's a lot. If you go online, they renamed the show uh, in season two... uh, it was a hard so, reboot. Yeah, yeah, something else. It was a yeah, hard reboot. Yeah. There was a rebound is what it was. Yeah, needless, <laughs> needless to say. That's Robin Joe. But, but the experience, by the way, of, of getting to go out to the 1997 NBA Finals and have dinner with Dennis Rodman, Carmen Electra, and a whole... Yes. And yeah. Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, and people kept saying to me, oh, are you Gene Siskel's son? Because I started losing my hair when I was 14. So. But also totally. Yeah, anyway. So that was weird sort him. of... He loved the ice storm, too. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love the, the ice storm. Ang Lee's the ice storm. Everybody get, should watch that. I'll quickly yeah. get through the rest of the story. The two showrunners... Had a deal at Warner Television. They asked me to come along. I became their head of development. We sold a couple things, but nothing ever went to series. 
Um, and then during that time, this shiny new toy called the Internet, <laughs> yeah. Web 1.0, was starting to really hit critical mass. This is about 1998, 1999. Um, and I had realized that I, there was a far greater benefit than learning how to be a better writer, which is learning how to sell your writing. Yeah. Every one of you in this room who has aspirations of being a writer has to realize that you have a personal brand. No one wants you, as, we, as many of us have said, to be the same writer as every other writer and fit a, a I mean, mold. once they hire you, they may try to make you that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Walking yeah. into the room, yeah. they don't want that. So yeah. I said, I'm going to build a website. I taught myself how to code in HTML1. Um, and I'm going to build a website called tvpitch.com. <laughs> tvpitch.com was, we're not going to teach you how to be a better writer, but we're going to teach you everything about how to sell your writing. Um, and then, hey, if you want it, notes on how to be, and all that content is free. And if you want notes on how to be a better writer, send your half hour or your hour. It's $85 for the half hour and 130 for the hour. Uh, and, and a panel of vetted executive producers, showrunners, successful writers will evaluate your scripts. Um, I also had aspirations of being an amateur hacker, so there was no social media. So I literally wrote a little bit of code that would ping the listserv of every university in the United States that had a film program. My AOL account got shut down as a result of that. But we got 4,700 submissions. Holy shit. Wow. Now, when I went to my bosses, who I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your names and your successful pedigree. One of them had been on Love American Style and all these other things. They're like, yeah, we're not reading those scripts. No. So I had to scramble, figure out what to do. Ultimately, that was... A successful exercise we all made a little bit of money and I said well wait a minute if there is a model here pre master class pre the things that we the all blacklist today, yeah of the wannabes paying for access to the wanna sees um, would that apply in other creative endeavors would that apply in the culinary arts the performing arts the fine arts sure. so I went to my roommate from SC the one year I was there who is now uh, in business school and I said, I've never written a business plan. Can you help me do that? Mm -hmm. So we wrote the business plan for MyCreativity.com, MySpace, Yahoo Marketplace, Masterclass, years before any of those things happened. My whole career has been about doing cool things before. Yeah. yeah. Um, and timing is part of this. It yeah, always is. So. It always is. Um, uh, we, we launched a beta. We um, raised a seed round of funding. Um, I got people like Jerry Bruckheimer to come and do it because I had a relationship there. Wolfgang Puck, a uh, couple other really interesting people. And then 2000 of August happened, referred to as dot bomb, where the yeah. entire internet ecosystem and the, and the capital markets sort of collapsed. So I had to pivot. One of our advisors uh, in that venture was a guy, probably a name many of you are familiar with, by the name of Peter Guber, mm -hmm. who today is one of the owners of the Golden State Warriors, the Dodgers, the LAFC. Uh, the number three esports brand in the world called Team Liquid. Um, and I asked for a meeting. He somehow thought I was someone else and I was there. <laughs> right, right. So he took the meeting and that I was there because he had hired someone to teach his two young boys how to use computers. Oh and I'm like, yes, I'll do that. I got in. 
I got in and I became, over the next five years, the head of digital media for Mandalay Entertainment. Oh. Mandalay made oh. things you've heard of, like I Know What You Did Last Summer, yeah, yeah, Wild yeah. Things. That was a big time. Yeah. 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 So Peter's was, kids wrote all those movies. That was the greatest <laughs> masterclass I could ever hope for. Um, eventually, that company grew and changed and evolved. In the early 2000s, BMW spent a ton of money making BMW yes. films. This all comes back to Ang Lee. It all comes back to Ang Lee. Because <laughs> he did the, 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 yeah. that one, yeah, yeah. 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 he yeah. did that driving. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and we launched a brand and entertainment division. I created content for that. We were partnered with Petco and Yahoo and yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, long story short, it, it, it created a real kind of appetite for me to sort of be in the creative marketing space. So when I left that job, I co-founded a video game company called Vicarious that made game art. We weren't creating original IP. Eventually that company sold to a Chinese company. I took a trip to Shanghai. I said, I don't want to live here <laughs> because it was a period where mass growth was happening. So I came back. Uh, a buddy of mine from high school was licensing old TV shows to put on DVD, create box sets, create all the content around it. Um, and uh, we launched that business. We did uh, Xena Warrior Princess, Highlander, uh, Hercules, ton of different shows. Eventually that company we sold, launched a marketing services company. And during that time- How does all this go to screenwriting though, I, I, During that time, I was working on, uh, I was leading the marketing team for Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2. And the producers- Still that, traveling. The producers of that, at the end of a particular meeting, I said, can I pitch you guys a film idea? And they rolled their eyes and they, the implication being stay in your lane. Um, and they indulged me. So I said, this morning, as I was getting ready to come to work, there was a story on the Today Show about a dolphin that got caught in a crab trap off the coast of the Indian River in the Gulf of Mexico, adjacent to Florida. And by the time it was rescued, it had lost the blood supply to its dorsal fin that had to be amputated, and a team of scientists and prostheticians built a prosthetic tail. By the end of it, they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. Come produce it with us. And I said, I would like to write it. And they're like, what? Like, do you know how to write? I gave them some writing samples and thus began the four-year odyssey of making Dolphin Tail, um, which we can talk about. I know I got to wrap No, no. I mean, it um, just goes to, like, this stuff takes a long time. And then time. after I turned in my second draft, the writer's guild strike happened. Yeah, the, the 07 writer's the best thing I got that, in the week of, like, yeah. The yeah. best thing that came out of that was I met my wife on the picket line. Oh, yeah. which is really cool. I love that. Um, that ended, of course, thinking, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm 29, I've sold this yeah. script. Then they go, so we're going to hire, we're going to bring in the writer of Free Willy 2 to do a pass. Not even Free Willy, Free Willy 2. <laughs> so that was a hit to my ego. Uh, the process went on and on, and eventually in 2011, the film got made. The sequel came out in 2014. And we're hoping that Dolphin Tail 3 will eventually be on Max, even though David Zaslav killed that a couple he, years ago. He killed Yeah, exactly. Did he really? I wrote and produced a number of feature docs. Then I met uh, the writer, actor, producer, Orlando Jones. He and I started a company together. He then went on to do Sleepy Hollow. And during that time, another cool new shiny toy called VR started to emerge. Oculus One. Um, and I said to him, we should create a show uh, in VR as a spinoff of Sleepy Hollow, which is a show he was on. Went to Fox. They're like, we don't know what this is. But ultimately, we got some people 
loyal to it. So we created a standalone episode of Sleepy Hollow in the Oculus for which I won the first primetime Emmy for VR. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Uh, and then a bunch of other cool shit happened. I'm going to shut the <laughs> um, Guys, let's <laughs> let's move on to your questions. Yeah. Who has a question? Because I, I think you guys kind of answered my question of like, do you got to go to school? No. Do you, uh, you know, you have to kind of push through fear and imposter syndrome a lot. And then you have to get, you have to be a bouncing ball and just keep moving and chasing things because you don't know where the opportunity is going to come from. And you don't stay in your lane uh, because the worst thing that happens is you get a no. Uh, just don't stay in your lane. Um, let's have some hands and let's have some questions. Uh, I'm going to do this by who hops up and down the most. I'm kidding. Um, let's get, start with you. Please. You have the Kiki delivery service, sir. So here we go. <laughs> you guys have talked a lot about how the landscape has changed now. What's the best advice for people trying to break in now? Big stuff. Um, the best advice now is just, is unfortunately IT, and that is an annoying, annoying thing to say. But there are ways that you can make that. You can do audio drama. I've made an original audio drama. Like, you can make original audio dramas. You can collaborate with people to make comics, which is uh, another yeah. way in which I've, I've been getting in. Like, there's what people will see is, oh, you're, you're making stuff and doing stuff. And that elevates you in a way, or writing books, but writing books is another way. Like right now, I think the the advice that I heard a lot when I was coming in is to be an assistant. And I was an assistant. That but now I know people who have been assistants for ten years and have not been able to bring in. Yeah. And so I think like that that model is broken, especially because of the streaming model. Um, there are still people that are willing to give you your way in, but I think one of the major ways of doing it is by making your own stuff and, and learning how to produce things on your own because that is the, the lessons that you'll, you'll learn yeah. learning. And the, sorry, one quick piggyback on that. Also, if you make your own stuff, you own the rights to it. It's yes. something that you can sell as IP. If you yes. make your own comic with a friend, suddenly it is like, well, actually, I have the rights to this comic because you are the rights yeah. to the comic or, or book or whatever it is. So it serves you just on a whole bunch of levels. Yeah. Well, and this is this is not going to be a popular thing that I'm about to say, but the thing about the assistant model is people have begun to think that just because you get a foot in the door that you're entitled to the next rung. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're not. Depends on your coffee. Well, no. I mean, I don't, I don't I just mean that about assistants. I mean that at every step of step yes. writing. And that's the other thing is that just because you get in the first time, like you have to deliver and you have to yeah. deliver yeah. and you have to deliver. It's like you can never, like the, the hustle is never over. It doesn't. fucking sucks, but it's the reality. I think also that goes back to your point that you were making, which I think is so good, is that like, you think that you're going to get a golden ticket. Like I, I'm, you know, I remember whenever I got my assistant job, I was like, I'm, cool, I'm done. I don't have to work anymore than I did. Like, I sold 12 shows. Yeah. 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 Like you, you get to a point where you, the way to survive and re- remain and retain in the industry is recognizing that like being comfortable is your enemy. Getting to a point where you're not, Continuously, and I'm not saying I, I'm, I don't believe in the starting up, starving artist model. I don't think that that is a healthy model. But I do believe in that. Like we, we can never settle. We can never like yeah. you. You're never looking to your your reps as being the people who are, like yeah. they're going to do all the work for you. They're not. You are the one that are continuously getting that job. It is in the same way that if you were a plumber, you would be working to get the next job. The, like the other thing that I want to say. About- just to that to that point, and then let's give it to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> the next question. Well, because this is such an important question, right? Yeah. And this is why everybody's here. 
like real artists have day jobs, right? My friend yeah. Sarah wrote a book called Real Artists Have Day Jobs. Yeah, yeah. And it is true. And I didn't think it. And I, I struggled and was starving and it, because I didn't want to be doing anything other than being a writer, except maybe being a tutor because obviously I had to pay the bills somehow. But like get a fucking job because yeah. if you have that, you're not going to come off as desperate and you're also going to have something else to offer. But get a job you can, you do not take home. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, I remember like climb a ladder and be stressed I was, out, but like something that pays your bills. Chad Oman and Bruckheimer like had me in because a friend of a friend knew what it was. He was her, their uncle. And, Chad Oman was the person who said, don't be an assistant because they're going to call you after you leave. And like anything, like do anything. Yeah. Teach like anything that you don't have to do. Once you walk out that door, then you can focus on your writing. You can focus on your producing, your directing, creating, because that is so true. What you said, Max, like it is like you got to create stuff, especially now in the age of churn, where they're just looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. They, you know, you got to be ready for it to be that next thing my my only non uh hollywood uh, content creation job over the last 30 years has been bank teller and i spent time just figuring out how i could rob the banks <laughs> <laughs> but now you're writing a script about it yes. but now you're writing a script about it that's true but i also i also to that point i think sometimes like whenever i first moved to la like the advice that i heard not even advice the thing that i heard a lot of people say is like oh well i don't want to get a job at target because if i wanted to get a job at target i would just be in I would, I would stay where I was from and work at Target. And I was like, the difference here is the people that you're meeting at Target. The difference in LA is the people that you are meeting at those jobs that you're like, well, you know, what, what, what good will this do? Yeah. It, will, it will introduce you to a person who wants to direct, wants to be a DP, also wants to write. Like, to your point of finding those writers. Like, yeah. you're forming the community, and that is the most important part of any part of this job, is the yes. community of it. Yes. Let's go to another point. Well, I'm actually, I'm sorry, I'm being told that we need to make okay. 10 minutes. We have, we have to leave 10 minutes between these panels, but I'm going to go ahead and tell everyone here that if they want to rush you guys like a bunch of piranhas, <laughs> like, uh, let's go to the hallway, and you guys can rush my panelists like a bunch of piranhas and ask them questions um but uh guys i'm gonna put this whole audio up on the geekscape podcast uh feed on spotify and on apple Podcasts and all that but no it's it's good you guys are writers like you guys are you're, you're verbose in person and on the page but thank you to my panelists and uh guys Thank you, and uh, we're going to be right outside after we take a photo, and you guys can ask a million questions. Thank you. How much fun was that? I told you we were going to talk a lot of screenwriting. Maybe you're a screenwriter. Maybe you're an aspiring screenwriter. Regardless, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. I love doing those live panels with my friends, and I love bringing them to you here on the Geekscape podcast. I hope you're enjoying your holidays. I hope that we've brought a little bit of joy to... Maybe your escapism from your family right now, regardless of when you're listening to this episode and why, I'm just glad you spent this time with us. Do us a favor for your free content and hit that share button and share Geekscape with your friends. Go on whatever podcast app you're listening to this from and leave us a five-star review. That really helps our visibility so we can get other people to come onto Geekscape. They see us and say, hey, they've got some cool reviews. They've got a high star rating. I'm not going to be wasting my time talking to Jonathan and being on Geekscape. I'm in. That stuff helps us out. And of course, you can email me at jonathan at geekscape.net. You can find Geekscape and myself on all the social media platforms. So come be a part of Geekscape. Love you lots. Geekscape forever. Peace. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.